The views expressed on the following program of those of its hosts and participants in no way reflect those of the staff or management of WNRI. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. It's time for the John DePietro Show here on News Talk WNRI, 1380 AM and 99.9 and 95.1 FM. He's a special kind of sentinel. Mr. DePietro, who is in the eye of the storm. Suddenly, John DePietro became the story. Radio talk show host John DePietro. All right, here we go, folks. Welcome. Good afternoon. It is uh, the John DePietro Show. It's Political Monday. Good morning, Colleen. You know, there's political pandering, and then there's political pandering. I just saw on Twitter. So Amy Klobuchar, who did get an endorsement from the New York Times, along with Elizabeth Warren, this time they're endorsing two different people for president. The New York Times came out with their endorsements yesterday for Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. So two people. Or this morning, I should say, it came out, but they've decided, which is highly unusual. But they're basically saying, uh, if you're a progressive, you want Elizabeth Warren. If you're more moderate, you want to go with Amy Klobuchar. But Amy Klobuchar in Iowa is meeting with a gay group. And I'm reading this as we speak. And I just, it's one of those telling voters, well, my prom date was gay. (laughs) I mean, that is another level of pandering, isn't it? I know maybe you're leaning towards Mayor Pete because he's openly gay. But just for the record, if it's worth anything, my prom date was gay. <laughs> ah, my goodness. This portion of the John DePietro Show is brought to you by Propane Plus. They want to be your supplier, heating and cooling needs. Call Propane Plus today. Two locations, one in Rehoboth and one in East Greenwich. It's Propane Plus. 885-4209. 885-4209. Propane Plus, heating and cooling. They're the propane experts. Call Propane Plus today. They can do it all. 885-4209. Folks, let's bring them on. Our segment is Political Monday. And uh, each Monday at this time, we speak with the managing editor for OceanStateCurrent.com. And we want to say good afternoon uh, to the managing editor of OceanStateCurrent.com. And it's our friend Justin Katz. Good afternoon, Justin. Good afternoon, John. Great to be with you. Hey, Justin, I'd like to start off with uh, the channel. Channel 12, Tim White, I want to give them credit. They broke the story last week. And there's just such a pattern here. And I don't know what can be done about it. Uh, And and seemingly, I don't think think anything is going to be done unless somehow we have um, law enforcement agencies get involved. But the actions of the speaker and his right-hand man, Frank Montanaro, I mean, we can just, without even referring to notes, you had, you know, the tuition uh, scandal where Montanaro was then getting free tuition even though he shouldn't have for his kids. You have the fact that one of the people, the uh, campaign operative for the Mattiello re-election campaign in 2016 is going to be on trial a little bit later this year with felony for money laundering charges. You have the doctor on Park Avenue uh, who he was friendly with and funneling $1 million a year to who uh, there's a federal grand jury on that. Uh, there's seemingly like there was the whole situation with the, the Paw Sox within the Paw Sox once they left started saying that basically you know this this attitude that he was taking with them and it was very heavy-handed and use of vulgarity and kept changing the the uh, goalposts of the lines I should say um, and now the latest now that we find out that a committee that he controls this GCLS that two days before Christmas out of nowhere 
that they suddenly uh, announced that they want an audit on the Rhode Island Convention Center. But the real backstory there is that his good friend, Jim Demers, who he was attempting with Demers to get the kid guy's son onto the state police, and then he gave a job to the son, his son, Garrett Demers, at the state house. Part-time job, pays 45000 But that his friend was on the verge of being suspended from the convention center, and basically Mattiello stepped in and, by all accounts, threatened them that there's going to be hell to pay if he is suspended because they're looking to then terminate him. And then suddenly, two days out of nowhere before Christmas, they announced, boom, there's going to be an audit at the convention center. And not only that, but the, the executive branch, the state government has two auditing offices, and the executive branch already is slated to audit the convention center. So it's it's a strange dynamic of two performance audits at the same time. That's right. You know, you ask uh, how to what can be done about this kind of stuff. The, the, the reality is it comes down to we give so much responsibility and power to our elected officials, including the Speaker of the House, the Senate President, and the Governor. And particularly in the legislature, there's just not a lot of compensation there. It's a part-time job, but it's a lot of work year-round. They get a little bit of extra money from other legislators, but it's not like you can make a career as a legislator in Rhode Island, which is, could be good or bad. But what it ends up doing is you give all this power to people with no compensation, and you're going to get people looking to cash in in other ways. And so this shows you really the value of, of owning the speakership. Is you get these, these kind of gigs that you can you can hand out as patronage jobs and the at the same time you bring everything in under government auspices so the convention center is a quasi-public uh, partially government run organization uh, if it were a privately run organization it would be have it'd be very very different and the, the lines would be clearer between who who has what authority to audit or to do this or to do that uh, and we just like to muddle muddle it all up in Rhode Island. And so it's really, it's almost, uh, and the, you get the impression that in this sense, right now, this is just, you know, classic Rhode Island kind of way of doing business. Uh, you know, if, if your friends are not getting what you want, then, you know, it's, hey, didn't the Republicans call for an audit? Let's do that then. And that's the other part of it that show, that I this jumped out at me on this episode is Patricia Morgan and other Republicans have long been calling for things like performance audits of the convention center. But the, what we see is the, the leading Democrats in the state hold on to those ideas until there's some, something in it for them. And then they can bring it out and use the Republicans, uh, proposal as cover. So, well, Hey, they've been calling for an audit and here you go. I don't know what you're complaining about. It's very conspicuous. And it, you get that sense of a lot of things in Rhode Island, including when they remove the master lever, for example. It's been around for a long time to suggest that. You have to be kind of suspicious. Why now? Why are they doing this now? And this audit is almost too cartoonish uh, an example of that. Why now? You know what else, um, Justin Katz, and I was thinking about this, I, and I go back to, and I don't think a lot of this is, is covered by local media, but I think one of the greatest miscalculations by Governor Raimondo was she miscalculated, I think, in many ways, and, and it's to her own fault or her own detriment, but she completely uh, underestimated the power of the speaker, the speaker himself, and just what that has done to hamstrung her in the job. And if you go back to, so, you know, at one point you had Governor Allman and Speaker John Harwin, and Allman, you couldn't have been more checked out than Governor Allman. I mean, the guy 
he, he was, you want to talk about asleep at the switch. I mean, he would go to lunch at Angelo's or Greg's. He wanted to just go to the Cape Breda house and smoke cigarettes. Very slow moving. Harwood basically did whatever he wanted. It was the late 90s, early 2000s, and the money was flowing and everything was great. Then you had the dynamic of Governor Don Kachiri and Speaker Bill Murphy. And even though they were in different parties, um, there seemed to be efforts that, that Governor Kachiri could could kind of work with Speaker Murphy and, and attempt to try to move some things ahead and get things done. Even though now, you know, in the aftermath of 38 Studios, we, we learned how Murphy, you know, how about Murphy uh, offering for Kurt Schilling, do you need me to call the Speaker of the House of Massachusetts for you? As if he would, you know, somebody who's uh, on the verge of going to the Hall of Fame would, would need that to happen. Then you had the, the relationship between Gordon Fox and, um, and, and, um, and Link Chafee, and, and that was, you know, Chafee was such on the outside, and he was kind of along for the ride, and there was certainly no rocking the boat. This has been far different. This is someone that, you know, you go back to last spring, when Raimondo, they were so upset, because she was, she was so upset, and her people, they weren't getting their college tuition, the free promise, whatever the, whatever the name is at CCRI. And she, she seemingly now, a couple of years into office, Justin Katz has realized she can get up with all these grand ideas, but like she has to go down and hat in hand and basically beg and make their argument to try to get these things into the budget. And Mattiello, without any type of, uh, um, um, uh, line item veto that he just they run circles around her and I think if, if Governor Raimondo could do things over what, where they truly underestimated was they, they needed to for her purposes take him out of office as the speaker because they've had that Joe Sakachi who he he ran her campaign for treasurer in, in 2010 would be far more animal but the, the I don't think people recognize the relationship between the governor and the speaker because it's been a while that we've had, you know, a Democrat governor and then a, the Democrat speaker, but it, it's so dysfunctional. You know, she comes out with her budget. I just want to go back to last spring. As a result of her not getting the college, the free promise at CCRI, she leaks, her and her people leak to the media that his that doctor, his friend on Park Avenue is going to get one million that no one knows about. And then as a result of that, um, you know, it's this back and forth. And if you remember the Twin River thing hit with Brett Smiley, Mattiello was saying, well, I think that needs to be investigated and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, they were certainly not on the same page with the Paw Sox. But w- what happened this past week, if anyone wonders if the state is broken, Governor Mundo comes out, this very extensive budget, and it, it's almost like, you know, shooting fish in a barrel one by one. Anything that she's putting forward, Team Mattiello are absolutely just knocking out of the water, right? There's not going to be a gas tax. Uh, The veterans' home thing is a mess. Uh, We're not going to legalize marijuana. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. And, and, you know, where is she? She's she's got a couple years left and then realizes that basically to me, and I want to hear your thought, but I just think he outflanks her every single time they're trying to, you know, make a maneuver. I, I think so, too, and I, I think a large part of the problem is her, her kind of approach, and I, this is all tied up with, we've, we've commented several times in the past couple of months how she's still collecting so much in fundraising money 
even though she's term limited. And uh, a big what she said she's doing with that money, she's going to threaten legislators to get her agenda through. And it, it's just, you know, she's had a lot of success in the, the self-marketing and the political arena in elections um, and, and organizing those and collecting money. And I think she's trying to apply that to the legislative process. And it's, it's completely different. I think she would have had a lot of different results if she weren't kind of, I don't know, flailing around with the the progressive issues they want at the national level, that her the national donors want. Um, I think that's part of it. Is there's that, that disconnect between what she's trying to get through and what the speaker will can let get through. Um, so, for example, she puts in her budget to slow down the gas tax, and that's his signature move. You know, that's the one thing probably his campaign thinks is is keeping him from being ousted by a Republican. Uh, and to go after that is really just a signal that the budget's not serious. We're, we're, we're still going to be at, going head-to-head and fighting. And then her answer to that is not to you know scale back, but to instead threaten legislators' uh, seats, uh, which is you, you know done, but kind of unique for a governor to be running essentially her own pack uh, in Rhode Island. So I, it is definitely, she's definitely being out played in the, in the policy and political game, and I, I think part of it is because she's, she's focusing on the wrong things, because I think it goes back to having her eyes set on, on national uh, attention, and that requires her to be farther to the left and to demand things that a more conservative speaker isn't going to do. I think you're exactly right. And again, folks, good afternoon. It's Sean DePietro speaking with Justin Katz, managing editor for OceanStateCurrent.com. You know, another uh, typical example, Justin, is... Um, you know, I have Dan McGowan on each Wednesday, and last Wednesday night, the Speaker and the Senate President, they were at a forum that he held, a live forum. You could go and see the two of them there, and they were interviewing them. And Mattiello said, you know, I just don't think climate change is a local issue. I think it's a national issue. I think it's an international issue. Let's be honest. You know, I don't think there's anything we can do in Rhode Island here that's really going to have much impact. I don't even disagree with that, by the way. The next day, she's at a bill signing ceremony with uh, Save the Bay. And she is the complete polar opposite view of that and says, no, I want to be, we want to be the first in the nation that's going to be within 10 years. We're going to be 100% reusable energy. You know, she, she's so struggling, Governor Mundo, to find something that she, she wants to be able to say she's first in something. And it, to me, it's grasping at straws. But meanwhile, you know, the Providence schools are considered some of the worst in the nation. I'll tell you, Justin, if, I, if you really step back without all of the fluff and the press and everything else and first female governor and head of the National Governor Association, if you just look at getting things done, I don't know about you, but I, I just I don't see the Ramundo governorship. I, I just I fail to see the real wins. I, I would even argue I don't think the state is better off. Here it is 2020 than when she took office five years ago. I, I struggle to find the success stories. There are, there are very few, and that's why the, her, her campaigns and her, her press offices and all the, the media people she's hired, um, not to mention the you know chief the executives like the Commerce Secretary who, who promote her all the time, uh, they, they have to kind of distort unemployment numbers in order to make it look good. They're constantly struggling for something. And a big surprise here is a lot of people supported her coming out of her run as treasurer because she looked like the kind of government leader who would pick an issue that needed to be resolved and work on that. And she had a lot of success with that with the pension reform. Uh, and if she had found something similar 
in state government. I think she would have, could have done a lot better, but that's not, that, I think they discovered early on that didn't translate well into the national audience, or at least as well as the local audience. And that's, that's been the problem. And so she's looking for these things like green energy. I mean, you can, you can come down on one side or the other, but making grand, grand proclamations and in 10 years, we're going to be a hundred percent renewable. We're going to join this, uh, Transportation and Climate Initiative, TCI, the gas tax that's going to may possibly add another 17 cents per gallon in tax to your, your gasoline. And it, that's expensive stuff that has real effects on people. And if the legislature passes that, they'll hear immediately from their people in their, in their next election. Uh, and that's that makes it a very difficult lift. So that, that comes right to the heart of the problem. She's going for these progressive policies that sell nationwide uh, and have a constituency in Rhode Island, sure, but they do have the reason they're not like wildfire across the country is they're expensive and often a bad idea. And that's hard to sell to legislators who need to be elected every two years. And that's that's really disconnected. It's, it's kind of a shame because as you say, it's, her governorship has been kind of a, you know, a, a little bit of a, a blip. You know, it's been you know a lot of national attention, how great she was. And then, you know, at the same time, one of the least popular governors in the country because of, for exactly this reason. I, I think so. And, and we are going to talk about that poll, but I, I would just argue, and I know it's kind of a broader conversation, but to me, Governor Gina Raimondo, it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or Democrat, but to me, just in someone that has watched her now, right, I've, seen, I've watched her for 10 years since she emerged on the scene running for treasurer. She ran a very brilliant campaign against Kerry King. They exposed that he had a license in Florida. He hadn't been living in Rhode Island for a while and so forth. Kind of blew him out of the water, became the general treasurer. But really, her biggest strength is presenting, right? She, she's good at raising money. She is certainly good. You cannot argue that she is good as a candidate running for office. She, she won, treasurer was her first race, then she won the primary for governor, then she won governor, then she won another primary for governor. So she's 5-0 and oh when it comes to elections. But when that morning console poll comes out, and she can knock it and disregard it all she wants, she is stuck at 35%. And pop, people, governors, at the very least, when you are dealing, to me, Justin Katz, when you're dealing with a system where... The Speaker of the House, in this case it's Mattiello, has all this power. And to me, if you're the governor, you really need to be A, popular, and B, use the bully pulpit to your advantage. If you don't, that's why I don't think she recognizes that he just runs roughshod over her. I mean, she, she introduces her, her, what she came in on which was going to be an educated workforce. And when they first came in, they were trying to lure GE here, and they were trying to get companies into the Superman building. As we look at things now, just in 2020, her biggest reliance, the Ramundo legacy, and I know they hate this. I know this personally. They absolutely hate it. But their legacy is drugs and gambling. That's what it's come down to. Online uh, sports betting at Twin River, they expect money from there. The IGT situation, and then now... She puts in, she wants $22 million of legalized marijuana, and the Speaker and the Senate President um, both said it's, it's DOA. It's not happening. It, it's dead on arrival. Her whole candidacy and vision that she talked about has really come down to just drugs and gambling. <laughs> With that and you know, the, the periodic gas, like cooler and warmer, and um, all, Correct. And all yes. the agencies that aren't running very well. And it, again, it comes back to this: you know, you, you can take on the legis the way you persuade the legislature as governor is to be popular, as you say, and to 
to be popular, you have to do things that people are seeing benefit them throughout the state. If she had been doing that, uh, and but the problem is, I, I think a lot of it's ideological. She thought she could orchestrate it through commerce, through giving out special deals to companies to get a lot of headlines. And I, I think the reason, apart from being the more progressive way to do that, which shuffles money through government, uh, which everybody in government loves, um, apart from doing that, that's sort of the, the splashy national attention. Ooh, the governor got General Electric to come to, to Rhode Island. There's something to that effect. When the people on the ground in Rhode Island don't really, I mean, most of them don't even know about it, and most of them, those who do don't really care unless it has some direct relevance for them. And so by focusing on those, so that sort of gimmicky thing for the headlines and not on the nuts and bolts of an economy, the nuts and bolts of running agencies, DCYF, et cetera, that's, that's what's really hindered her. It's, it's really almost a tragic, you, know, you could write a, a tragic play about it because if she had been doing her job well, she would be more politically, a, a more formidable force within Rhode Island. Uh, and because she hasn't, she's paying the price and she probably will for the, the rest of her term. Yeah, and with with that, and as you and I have both talked about, and again, folks, good afternoon. It's it's uh, it's it's John DePietro speaking with Justin Katz, managing editor for OceanStateCurrent.com. Our segment is our segment is is Political Monday. But Justin, when you you when you really step back, um, the state workforce is at an all time high. They still haven't figured out whatever who's ever on her staff, whether it's Brett Smiley who's now leaving, or Josh Block, or David Ortiz, whoever. But you know the situation we're going to talk about the fact that in twenty twenty. The highest paid state employees are prison guards. And why? Because they didn't pay attention and they allowed the union to manipulate the situation so they cash in these ridiculous amounts of overtime. The uh, director of the veterans home, you know, just resigned. Why? Because the veterans home's a mess. Why? Because they didn't pay attention to the details. And when the place was being rebuilt, it's way too big. And there's certain union provisions that go in. And all the overtime and, and mandatory staffing drives up the cost. Um, UHIP, another disaster. And why was it a $600 million disaster? Didn't pay attention to the small details of it. You know, she is in such a hurry to hire people and add more PR people and get national headlines and have the Washington Post and New York Times float out that she's being considered for a VP slot and National Government Association. It still comes down to her answer of, you know, I was reelected with a mandate and the people are with me and I, 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 I just, I don't buy that. I think this whole thing has not gone the way Governor Gina Raimondo thought it was going to go and, and I don't see where it's going to end. She also, she should have embraced the line item veto when she first became governor. In 2016, I can tell you the Raimondo people were adamant and organized in trying to knock Mattiello out. They should have put more resources to knock him out. He has been an impediment to them. Um, you know, the CCRI thing, as much as she pushes for the free college tuition, what has completely usurped and undermined that whole argument is the fact that the Providence schools, uh, nothing has been improved, as we all know. Nothing has changed, by the way. Latest burb last week is the Education Commission. I think she's close on finding a superintendent. The school year is, is flowing along. Um, I, I come back to, I think she gets a free pass, and I would argue, I think it's, it, it, if you look around the region and around the world, in Massachusetts, or the country, I should say, you know, Governor Baker, $1 billion surplus, and Raimondo, not only a 
$10.2 billion budget. But on top of that, $200 million in the hole. And then the numbers she puts out are non-starters with this, you know, the gas tax and then the uh, marijuana be legalized and everything else. It's, I, I, I just get the sense, I don't know if it's her or her people, but I'll tell you, Justin, they're not dealing in reality. No, they're not. They're, they're not. I, I think probably this this is related to all along. You know, you get the impression she's at this place in, in California, at this place in Michigan or Illinois. She's on, as you said, the Democrat National Governors Association. If her focus had been here and really just the nuts and bolts of running the state. I've, one thing in the budget that's actually kind of interesting is her new approach to, to getting employers to cover their Medicaid-eligible employees. Last year, and this is a great representation of how she does things, last year they wanted to start imposing a new fee on those employers so that they would have to pay a penalty if they if they had for, for their employees who were on Medicare, uh, Medicaid. Um, this year it's much more, much more thoughtful approach, which is to get the information from the employers Who's on, who? What their health care, health insurance is, and then to pay that for the employees who would otherwise go on Medicaid at the state level would pay the employee's share of that. I mean, that's a much, much more thoughtful and probable approach to the problem. But the first thing was, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get money from those companies, and that just that it, it shows the sort of carelessness and laziness in the first go round, and a, a willingness to let probably the, the more progressive people on her staff, say Brett Smiley, dictate policy because that's that's their focus is hurting the companies when it should have been her focus to figure out how do I solve a problem. And th- that fact is she, you know, you get the impression she's just been too too focused on what's going on nationally for her and, and for her party and not focused enough on what, what would work for Rhode Island, which is ultimately going to be the power base of the governor is how right. she's doing for yeah. the people. That is an excellent point. And when you look back, she really thought she was cruising out of here when um, when Hillary Clinton. She thought, it, listen, that is a fact. She'll probably never admit it now. But she truly thought Hillary was going to be elected president. She was then going to launch out of here, get some sort of a, I don't know, director, some, something either in the cabinet or something high level in the administration. And as I have, have said in the past, based on the equation at the time, when Hillary Clinton announced she wanted 50% of her administration to be women, and you have Governor Gina Raimondo, who was campaigning for her the entire summer of 2016 up in New Hampshire, and the first female governor in Ireland, one of the first, one of the few female governors across the country who's a Democrat, um, I, I would say that the Raimondo people, especially her, the governor herself, she had every reason to believe uh, that if, in fact, Hillary Clinton had been elected, that she would have been tapped for some kind of a post. I don't know if it would be a cabinet, but something certainly prestigious within the administration. And that didn't happen. And then since then, you know, they've kind of been trying to find their way ever since. I also want to get into a little party politics with you. And again, folks, good afternoon. It's John DePietro speaking with Justin Katz, managing at OceanStateCurrent.com. You know, I think you kind of have to follow a little bit of the bouncing ball. Last week, the Republican Party, and I give them credit, Susie Yankee, they put out, rightfully so, a press release about the situation with the speaker in the convention center, the audit that happens two days before Christmas, which is ridiculous. And what happens? Patricia Morgan, who basically has been silent for the most part since her failed run for governor, and she really, you know, uh, basically cut off her support within the Republican Party by then jumping in with Joe Trillo instead of being the 
the good soldier and, and going along with Cranston Mayor Alan Fung. Uh, but she has been, for the most part, in and out, but I see her on social media, but kind of silent. But anyhow, she, um, she immediately posted, ah, see... Back several years ago in 2015, I was calling for an audit and almost seemed, trying to be relevant or take credit, and they finally did my audit. Well, I know that that did not go over well in Republican circles, even to the point where the Matty Yellow people were using that as a talking point, saying, see, Patricia Morgan, Rep. Morgan even says, you know, she was sending out these press releases five years ago as if that had any type of dent here. So she posted on social media that she somehow got this order of merit, 2020 Life Members Order of Merit. And what's significant to the, about that is the fact that, to me, she, she was trying to, again, seem or show relevancy within the Republican Party. But Kathy Gregg picked up on the fact that the House Minority Leader, uh, Blake Filippi, uh, kind of took a shot at her at that. And, um, and said, I've seen these orders of merits, and uh, they're disturbing. And in this country, we don't pledge to individuals, political parties, to the Constitution. What, what is your thought on... Uh, Patricia Morgan's actions in that last week, and then uh, Filippi. I'd also like to hear your thoughts on Filippi, his, his um, uh, response to the governor's state of the state, and, and then especially this flap with uh, Patricia Morgan. Well, I think the, this, it's so hard for the, the opposition party and, and conservatives generally in Rhode Island to, to cohere because there's, there's always this, uh, it's almost like people who aren't in the game and they're playing a kind of a scrimmage on the sidelines while they're waiting to get into the game. <laughs> they end up hurting each other as they go. I, I mean, it's just, uh, when I, so I, regarding the order of merit, basically what we're talking about, so people know it's, it's essentially a keepsake. It's, it's a, a thing you put on your wall framed in your office somewhere it says, you know, thanks from the, basically thanks from the president and the Republican national committee for your, for being on our side. And it, it says that, you know, your undying commitment to president Donald Trump, the RNC and the United States of America uh, and loyalty to, and that kind of thing. And uh, I take Blake's point that we don't pledge to president. And, you know, as a point of fact, this isn't, she didn't sign a document pledging fealty to the to the president. I mean, it's not quite you know that video of the of the celebrities praising Obama and saying they were going to be loyal to him. You know, however many years ago that was. Uh, so now you get this battle, and of course the Providence Journal picks it up because now it's an, a battle between Republicans, which is in line with what most of the journalists in a New England state want to talk about. And you get this, you start to build animosity within the party and within the conservative movement. I, I, so that was my kind of reaction to that. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with just the, the problems of, of Twitter and social media and the inexperience of people who are, who are running for office in the opposition party. You, there's just, there's, I don't know. It's the kind of comment you might make among friends, and if you had a Twitter stream with, you know, two dozen people, you would know all of them. You know, that's what it's for. But when when you're starting trying to build movements and broaden support, I, I don't quite understand the purpose of cutting people out. And if one person gets a little now, I I was right with you on, um, you know, being somewhat disappointed in Patricia Morgan for backing Joe Trillo and uh, and all of that. And I think that was the same dynamic coming from those two as I'm talking about now with Blake. But I don't know. I, I, I think if, if she wants to take credit for having said something like that in social media, uh, you know, I, I've suggested the audit, that, that's fine. You can still turn that around and say, well, yeah, of course, the, the speaker uses it only when it's political, 
you know, to his political advantage. You could still spin that as, you know, Republicans have good ideas that the speaker puts into effect when it serves his purposes or something to that effect. But I don't know, I, I, I just get disappointed when these social media things spin out of control and start to get statewide attention. And it just looks like a bunch of squabbling people who, who don't have their stuff together and aren't looking to broaden, but rather to exclude. Yeah, I agree with you. What did you think of uh, Blake Filippi with his um, response to the governor's state of the state? Well, I, I don't know. They, those sorts of speeches are, it, it's hard to tell, you know, what effect they have. I, I think the, the Republican Party in, in Rhode Island, you know, you, you're so far out of power and you have been for so long. I think there's got to be more focus on really big ideas. You know, I don't want to say moonshots, but, you know, stuff that can really resonate and that seem undoable and build up constituencies around that. The, you know, the, the sort of the point-by-point point or, or small-ball adjustments to policy, I, I think that, well, I mean, it, it contributes to the difficulty in, in unifying because, you know, you're, you're not talking about anything exciting and you suggest something and something, if your small-ball policy actually gets into effect, you know, you, you're, you want to brag about it even though, you know, the Democrats can take credit for putting it into effect. So I, I, I think, you know, generally... I think there could be a, a bigger focus on larger ideas that unify uh, the, the right in Rhode Island. I um I like uh, rep- uh, Minority Leader Blake Flippy. I, I support him. I like him. Uh, I th- I think he I I think um, he's a good representative of the Republican Party and just the way he presents himself and carries himself. And I did have him on the next day after the Governor's State of the State. However, that that said. Um, I, I don't, I, I didn't find, I think that the state of the state and their response to it should have been something that was basically going to be setting the tone for trying to get people to run for office and almost set the tone of people running for office in 2020. And I didn't get that because the, the education thing, I don't know if they fully realize that if, if you step in and they do, by the way, they, they do do this, I believe, in certain communities in Massachusetts. But to, to say that people should be able to go to any school district that they want, um, I'm just not convinced that a lot of people ultimately would go along with that. Because there are people that, let's just look at uh, Lincoln and Central Falls. So basically what they're proposing, if I understand it correctly, kids from Central Falls could say, I've decided I want to attend Lincoln High School. Well, People that go to Lincoln, and it's obviously more costly than Central Falls, and it's uh, it's a different type of community, and and they live there for a reason, and they pay the taxes there for a reason, and and I'm not convinced that they want to have their kids um, in the high school or the middle school or the classrooms with the kids from, just as an example, and I'll, and it has nothing to do with. Uh, makeup, but just basic financial background with a lot of the kids from Central Falls. So I, I, I'm, I'm not convinced it's a winning issue. I, I think um, whenever you get a chance to get the, the, the podium and the platform in that way, I think you really have to utilize it on something of like what is the number one thing about um, that people are, are disgruntled with with Rhode Island state government, and and I don't, I, I know several things. I don't know what the answer is, but I, I think you really have to use those wisely, those chances. He did get coverage uh, that was carried. They certainly did a lot to milk it. 
but I, I'm not hearing a lot of carryover after that because to me it has to be kind of the defining thing. Um, before we move on to something else, Justin Katz, I am curious about, you know, as I look through the journal, Providence Journal broke down Governor Mundo and her budget address, and she didn't mention even that there's a deficit, and that tells you a lot. To me, that tells you a lot, the fact that Massachusetts has a, a surplus of $1 billion, and Governor Mundo would not even mention a $200 million deficit, which I think is going to be higher, but they mentioned marijuana, minimum wage, free tuition, guns beaches, education. You know, they still don't get it, do they, Justin? They still don't get it that all you need to do is make this as business-friendly as possible, and you could succeed with businesses in Massachusetts that say traffic in Boston's a nightmare, Massachusetts is is too expensive, we're going to go a little bit south and enjoy a better quality of life, and we're going to set up shop in uh, Providence and in Rhode Island. To me, what the, it, is, it is really astounding that they still refuse to address a major, major issue within the state and instead pick up what I, I just consider to be peripheral social issues. Well, it's, I mean, it's been a tragedy in Rhode Island as long as I've been paying attention to the politics here that there's, there's so much to recommend the state, uh, whether the you know, beaches, you know, the, being equidistant to New York and Boston, all of that kind of stuff, access to markets. And uh, there's so much quality of life to be had here. And we cash in on that by allowing corruption rather than allowing the economy to flourish, which is what we should be doing. I mean, there's a reason we have, what's the, what is it, the, one of the biggest all marble domes over the, the state house or something like that. I mean, there's a reason because we had money once upon a time because the economy would flow. Uh, and it, it, as you say, it'd be so easy. It's just a matter of scaling back the screws you're putting to people a little bit. And But that's exactly what Governor Raimondo and at the end of the day, the rest of the state government, that's exactly what they're they refuse to do. So you get this model along. There are always deficits. There's always a projected deficit five times bigger five years from now. There's, it, there's always that. There's always that trying to pick around the edges. Let's get a little more revenue from here. Let's trim this this over agency a little bit. Maybe we'll move it to a different part of government and say we did something. This It's it's basically what they do every single year. And it's, it's even to the point of it's hard to almost be upset about it because it's just what they do when they should be just saying, you know what, we're not going to cross the $10 million mark. We're going to go the other way. New Hampshire, I, I looked before our call, I, New Hampshire is at $6.5 billion and they've got a bigger population than we do. Yep. There's something wrong there. So if, if the state government and would put forward a budget that said, here's how we're going to go in the other direction, let's try this for a little bit, I think you would see very quick results. And in some respects, I think um, my boss at the Rhode Island Center for Freedom and Prosperity, Mike Stenhouse, likes to point out that it, oh, the what we have in Rhode Island, what we're, our economic growth in the past couple of years largely stems from policy changes at the national level because President Trump has scaled things back, you know, sort of put the brakes on a little bit at the national level and the impositions from, from the Obama administration and the creeping socialism of, of federal government. That's what's benefiting our economy. A little bit of that in Rhode Island would go a long, long way. And I, I, that's, that's really the ongoing tragedy is that our, our political system here just won't let us do that. Yeah, I um, and they, they we could go on uh, go a little bit longer. I mean, they people are leaving. I mean, that's something that she won't address. They refuse to address, but people are leaving, and the people are coming in 
are people, as we've talked about, that, let's face it, the people who are coming in are basically non-citizens or people that are highly reliant on welfare. They're not the type of people you want to attract. People are leaving. You know what else? And I just want to, I, I am so tired of hearing about we have a beautiful state and the beaches and Dell's Lemonade and coffee. None of that matters if you don't have a job. None of that matters. Uh, none of that matters if you're about to retire and then you realize you need to relocate to another state because we're the worst state to retire. None of that matters. The number one most important thing are good paying jobs that will allow people to live and have a good quality of life and their children to find jobs. The rest of this stuff is, is all just completely peripheral to me. Before our time is up, and again, folks, good afternoon at Shonda Beach. We're speaking with Justin Katz, managing at our OceanStateCurrent.com, front page of the Providence Journal. And Justin, to me, this sums it up. 79, 79 state employees made over 200000 and five of the top 30 earners were correctional officers. The amount of spending on salaries in the state is completely ridiculous. It's supposed to be, and we've talked about it, it's supposed, the system is supposed to be that if you want to make real money, you get a job in the private sector. If you get a job with the state or city, you don't make as much money. However, you know, you're going to get a pension someday. And then on top of that, most of the people do not, uh, if there's a lot of job security there. When you have huge numbers of prison guards making over 200,000, there is something wrong and the whole system is broken. <laughs> well, you can't argue with you there, and that's been that's been the case for for years and years. I mean, the prison guards changes to their their contracts and with their ability to hire have really rocketed them up the scale. But the idea of of government employees making tons of money in overtime to the point of those laundry workers a couple a few years ago I reported were making you know, six figures because of overtime that I, I don't even know how they physically could have done it, but somehow they were. But that's, we, we were basically running a government job mill, which is the part of the problem you mentioned, you know, we're, we're losing population to other states. Uh, that's part of the reason the, the incentives our state government are, you know, if, if people leave, productive people, young, young families that want to make something of their lives, if they leave, you know, that's, that's okay. Because what the state government is doing is importing of people who use government services to balance out and hopefully from their perspective keep our census numbers up enough to keep our congressional seat but it also gives them an excuse to tax other people to pay for those services which creates gives power to the unions which leverage that to create this to make everything inefficient and expensive whether it's roads or prisons and you know it's just the way our system works and it's it's hard to know those sorts of stories really ought to be a, a big red flag of this something just really fundamentally has to change, but we just never seem to, you know, you get this story every year from some news source, uh, whether the current or WPRI or Providence Journal, every year somebody puts out a report about the, the big earners in the state and it just never resonates. And it, it's a shame because it is, it should be eye popping. It should be. And on top of that, you know, when, when I think it was channel 12, I don't remember came out with the story, but you know, when you step back, so the way I understand it, if you take a maximum security prisoner at Walpole Prison, right in, Ma in Walpole, Mass., uh, to the, the cost of guarding and housing that inmate is $60,000 a year. The same inmate at the ACI, 40 minutes south from Walpole, the same conditions, prisoner, inmate, whole thing, is 175000 Now, to me, 
that that should be the governor holds a press conference and it's an emergency press conference. This has come to our attention. We're going to address this immediately. This is unacceptable insanity. I, I don't know how it broke. This person has resigned. This person has resigned. And starting tomorrow, we're going to ship all our prisoners to Massachusetts and pay Massachusetts to guard them for 60,000 a year. Cause it, but nothing, there's no call to action. There's no sense of urgency. Um, you know, she wants to sit and talk about climate change. That, that is such a red flag. It would never be allowed in the private sector. And, um, and, and I, I just, I don't know where all of this is, is going to lead, Justin. I just don't because at some point, the way the economy has been humming and expansion and everything else, um, I agree with you. So much of what she's benefited from are really just things on the national level and has nothing to do, uh, if anything, the problems that we've seen in Providence and Warwick with their unfended, you know, uh, liability costs for health care and everything else. Boy, when this thing crashes, it's going to be a loud crash. It is, and you can see it in the, in the complications. You can understand why the governor and other politicians wouldn't go after something like this obvious problem with right. large offers. I mean, you, you would have to change not only the contract and the, fight the union at the, at the uh, prison, you'd have to fight the State Labor Relations Board, change that all around. You'd have to change state policy, and to do that, you'd have to change out a bunch of legislators who either work for the un- labor unions or are some way related to them or, or support their cause generally. I mean, that it's a huge lift, and that's why every budget, every year, everything is, let's pick around the edges and, try, and, and with education, Providence or across the state. Let's try to pick around the edges, see if we can improve anything without actually changing the way the system works. And it's, it's not going to function. And at some point, it does collapse when you've got so many people who've left the state for other states because they're the ones who want to make money. So they take their, their effort and take, apply it somewhere else. You know, we spend a lot of it on education here, but a lot of the students go to other states for their jobs. So yes. the state should thank us for our education spending. Um, so we do that. And then we bring in people who need the government services, the high-cost ESL, for example, English is a second language, and the imbalance just cannot go on forever. And it is, it's is—it's going to be a huge crash because so everything in our state government relies on this system right now. It's like it's built around a volcano. We built a big a big city on top of a volcano, and we're, not, we're refusing to address the steam that's coming out of the ground. Yeah, and just uh, Christine on Facebook uh, Live mentions the number of workers at the state house. I know in the year 2000, 2002, right around there, I believe there were 400 workers at the Rhode Island state house. Today, there's over 700. Now, I can't think of any other company uh, where you add 300 full-time workers. If anything, because of in, in uh, corporate America, because of technology, I mean, so many offices are downsized, there's less people. Uh, technology, computers allow one person, will usually do the job of three. Um, but it is just continues to be a feeding frenzy of hiring. Folks, he's the managing editor at OceanStateCurrent.com. It's Justin Katz. Justin, great job. We'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Talk to you next week. All right, folks, there it is. Justin Katz joining us on the John DePietro Show. Christine, that is an excellent point, Christine. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show, good afternoon to everybody on Facebook Live. There's a thumbs up. 766-1380. This portion of the program is brought to you by J.K.L. Engineering. Hey, the heating season is here. It's freezing. If, you have, if you're having problems with your heating unit, call J.K.L. Engineering today. Let J.K.L. design and install a natural gas high-efficiency carrier Infinity System. They're energy efficient, they're quiet, more affordable than you think. If you're saying no gas, then no problem. Let JKL, let JKL Engineering design and install a high efficiency heat pump system. 
including ductless splits. Now, listen, on this Monday, I want to help you. If you're having a problem with your heating system, Rhode Island or Massachusetts, maybe right now you're like, this isn't good. It's not working properly. There's something wrong in my house or business. Call JKL right now, 401-351-7600. Now, they are the best over 53 years. They're licensed in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. I'll tell you this. You can depend on JKL Engineering. But on this Monday, I don't want anyone to be cold. And it is. It's freezing outside and a lot of ice. Today's Monday. If you are having a problem with your heating system today, for whatever reason, maybe it developed over the weekend, and you're still having a problem, call JKL right now, 401-351-7600, 401-351-7600 for JKL Engineering. Folks, it's John DePietro. Now, coming up, we're going to have a young woman who's going to join me at 1 o'clock. She attended the Women's March over the weekend, but not she was not part of that crowd. And the, the obscenity, it is absolutely, I just think it is absolutely disgraceful that we're seeing, I don't understand uh, what the mission is. I think, again, they should be called out more by the media. Um, the profanity at the Women's March. And how is it you have a group of women getting together and they want to get rid of President Trump and they say we need to educate young women, okay? How about the, the signs? So you have families there, young women there, younger F Trump signs, and they spell out the full word. Uh, I support men's rights to STFU, which means shut the blank up. Another word that I can't say bites back. How about this sign? So you bring your women, your young girls, teenagers, let's get involved in the process. Bring them to the quote women's march. Women don't owe you blank. Well, there's the Mary Beth Calabro word. Plenty are too coarse to even repeat. Illustrations of female body parts. That's the Women's March. Where's the message there? This is, we have to get rid of Trump. We need to be more diverse. We need to be the party of inclusive. We need to include everyone. We need to make everyone feel welcome. How is that accomplishing anything? Ooh, here's a uh, video message from Susie Yankee. Hmm. Let me play this. 60 seconds with Rhode Island Republican 60 Party seconds with Susie. It's winter in Rhode Island. By now, high school seniors and their families have finished with college tours and are ready to send applications to the schools that have checked off all their boxes, along with a backup or two, just in case. But imagine for a second, what if these students were assigned a college or a university based upon where they were born? No Notre Dame for these students. That's reserved for students from Indiana. No Harvard either. That's for Cambridge kids. Sounds crazy, right? So why are our public schools any different? Right now, our kids have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, provided they do it within the boundaries that we've created for them. Our students and their parents deserve a choice. Our educational system doesn't need more money thrown at it blindly. It needs to be fundamentally changed. Allowing families to have school choice will allow every child from every corner of the state to have the same right to a good education as every other. If you agree, we need your help. Find out how you can get involved at www.ri.gop. I don't know. Boy, they're banking a lot on that. I don't, I don't think it's a win. I don't. All right. 
766-1380. A lot more ahead on this uh, Martin Luther King Day. Do you own and operate a small business and you rely on communicating with your employees while they're out in the field? Well, if you do, this is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. This is Sal with T-Mobile for Business, and I encourage you to reach out to me today at 401-332-0000. This is a perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. Right now, we have unlimited plans with unlimited talk, text, and data. With no contract, great deals on iPhones and Samsungs, this is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. Stop wasting money. Call me for a free consultation at 401-332-0000. Again, 401-332-0000. Stop wasting money with your current cell phone carrier. Call me today, Sal with T-Mobile for Business, 401-332-0000. Are you riding along? Hey, there's a lot of ice out there. You're riding along, minding your own business. Suddenly someone slips on some ice, and boom, now you're in an accident. Now what do you do? My advice, bring your vehicle to West Fountain Auto Body. That's right, West Fountain Auto Body. They will repair your vehicle, showroom-like condition. They're going to work for you, not the insurance company. Call West Fountain Auto Body today, 272-3340. They're located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence, it's West Fountain Auto Body. Now, listen, they're going to work for you, not the insurance company. If you're ever in an accident, your first phone call afterwards, call West Fountain Auto Body, 272-3340. Located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. You can depend on West Fountain Auto Body. Or if you're in an accident and then you can't even drive your vehicle away, tell the tow truck operator, bring your vehicle to West Fountain Auto Body, 272-3340. Quality is more than just a word at West Fountain. Automotive painting, refinishing, it is truly an art. Again, they'll repair your vehicle better than new and restore it. Call West Fountain Auto Body. It really turns your life upside down when you're in an auto accident. West Fountain will handle it all. They're the best. 272-3340. If you're in an accident or you were and your car was damaged, I suggest you call. I recommend West Fountain Auto Body. They'll handle it for you. 272-3340. All right, next hour, we have a special guest. She attended. Young woman attended the, the Women's March. We'll do that and a lot more. It's John DePietro. What we're going to do is we're going to break for a quick update with the 1 o'clock news. The Power Hour is next. Leave it right here on AM 1380. WNRI Winsocket. W236CW. W260DC. W-N-R-I. 